Well, I mean, just the idea of needing to be motivated to do anything shows how weak your mindset actually is. Getting things done should be logical. Becoming a better you should be logical. The fact that you need to be, you need to hear an Anthony Robbins speech anytime you want to do anything that's actually good for you. Why wouldn't you just want to do things that are good for you because they're good for you? Because that's the person that you want to would want to be that would give yourself more self-respect, more self-confidence. You know that's already what you need to do. So relying on external forces to be able to support that is very weak to begin with, and that's just a tough conversation you need to have with yourself. I'm Doug Bopes personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Dan Garner. Dan is the founder of Team Garner, Inc. and co-founder of Rapid Health Optimization, which offers high-level personalized online training, nutrition coaching, and lab analysis for world-class results. Dan's coaching resume is second to none, having worked with dozens of professional athletes in 14 different sports. Within his clientele, he has worked with world champions, Hall of Famers, MVPs, world record breakers, and more. Today, Dan and I discuss why you shouldn't major in the minors when it comes to your health, and we talk about the things that you actually should pay attention to and focus on when it comes to improving your health and wellness. Dan shares some solid tips for building healthy habits that last and developing discipline so that you can put consistency on autopilot. We get into what you can do if you're feeling bloated, fatigued, or stressed, and along those lines, Dan shares what supplements you can take to improve your sleep quality, reduce stress, and improve your overall health. We get into all that and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Dan Garner to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Dan, welcome to the podcast. What's up, Doug? Thanks for having me, man. You're welcome, man. I am, I'm super excited to chat with you because like we, I said before we recorded, you're like the nutrition ninja. You're like this specialist that comes in, looks at labs, looks at diet, looks at lifestyle, and you're able to take some of your you know A-list clients' health and wellness to the next level. And I think a good place for us to start is so many people spend time focusing on the wrong thing. So many times, as you said, people spend focus on majoring in the minors instead of like majoring in the majors. So what are a few things in your experience that you think people should actually spend a lot of time paying attention to? And what are a few things that you think people spend too much time paying attention to? Sure. So yeah, I appreciate you saying the, the nutrition ninja, man. I hope that one sticks. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I've been called a blood work wizard <laughs> as well. So between ninja and wizard, <laughs> I think that uh, we got some pretty cool options here. Honestly, dude, I'm a coach first and foremost before everything else. And there's kind of this thing that happens in the industry where uh, somebody can kind of have maybe a couple of successful clients or uh, maybe they were locally successful and then they kind of self-appoint themselves as an expert and that coach now transitions from coach to educator. I've seen that many, many, many times in, over the course of my career where you have some success as a coach and then you've appointed yourself as becoming an expert, so now you are going to educate other coaches on your methods. One thing that educators kind of lose touch with is what actually gets results. And you were saying the nutrition ninja and taking the holistic approach of looking at nutrition, lifestyle, labs. Why I'm so big on staying a coach is because it keeps my feet on the ground and what actually works in the real world. And when you're actually working with real people in the real world and not just educating people on mechanistic pathways, you start to realize that a lot of people major in the minors. What seems complicated normally seems more correct. And lots of times the opposite is true in that many clients really already come to you knowing what they need to change. Their sleep sucks, they're more stressed out, they drink way too much alcohol, they're way too busy at work. And those are majoring in the majors. A lot of this stuff for a large portion of the population eliminating those poor lifestyle habits or at least supporting them in a way in which you can remain consistent with will get you a lot of results over time. 
And one thing as far as like looking at minors go is I'm involved in a lot of podcasts where we talk about advanced scientific concepts, you know, like volume, intensity, and frequency, very advanced periodization schemes. But if you want results and you want those results to stick around, you have to use the science and adapt it to your lifestyle rather than look at your lifestyle and adapt it to the science. Because consistency is gonna beat intensity 10 times out of 10. It doesn't matter how hard you can rock and roll. If you're not able to maintain that, you will never be able to keep the results that you've earned because biology, it forms adaptations over extended period of time. So the, the consistency behind everything is so key. So the big question and a real roundabout way to answer it, because I wanted to preface it with those important points is you need to look at your lifestyle and schedule first. When you look at your lifestyle and schedule first, the, you've actually already answered the questions of volume, frequency, intensity, periodization, meal frequency. You've actually already answered those. So use the science to adapt it to your lifestyle. You should never have your lifestyle be adapted to the science because then you're just asking for long-term consistency problems. Right. And I love what you said, man, that consistency is the best program. Consistency trumps volume, like intensity, like all these things, because like if you're not doing the program that you've prescribed yourself, like none of it matters, right? And And, and I love how you said that you have to you know, build your fitness and your routine into your already current lifestyle and not the other way around. And so many people fall off of their fitness program. So many people fall off when they're looking to make a transformation because they make that mistake that you just mentioned where they try to just insert whatever program they think is going to, to work for them into their lifestyle instead of like trying to figure out like, like how that fits into, or instead of like first thinking about like how can their fitness program like fit their current lifestyle. And I guess from there, with a lot of people that you've worked with over the years, how do you get them to develop discipline? How do you get them to consistently stay focused on habits when they can be so easily distracted? The formulation of consistency is really strengthened by momentum. Momentum is a hugely important component in the world of coaching. And that's what, the, again, like the educator versus coach thing is very different because you could have a guy standing on a podium with a polo shirt on telling you that this is the optimal muscle frequency that you should hit per week. And then people kind of take that in as it's something they have to do when it's the complete opposite. If you want to be able to build habits, you need to first build consistency. The only way in which you're gonna build consistency is if you have momentum. And the only thing that builds momentum is to get you results. Nothing is more motivating than seeing results. That's it. And that's actually what normally develops the momentum, which leads to consistency on autopilot. And then you, consistency on autopilot is habit formation. So the first thing, like you're asking me, how do I keep my clients on track? You get them results. And you get them results by adapting things to their lifestyle and not majoring in the minors. I don't give a, I don't, the, I'm trying not to swear because this always gets me mad, but I don't care what advanced mechanistic pathway you understand. And by the way, that's actually very relevant at a certain level. I've got athletes in 15 different professional sports right now. I work with actors, Marvel superheroes that everybody on this podcast already knows. I work with all of those people. So that like where those 1% details come into play, that's relevant at a certain level. But the way in which the question is structured for me right now is the development of habits. Those people I'm working with, they already have habits. <laughs> so I'm able to actually come in with very advanced concepts instantaneously to create lights out results for them. But in the beginning, if this is your beginning journey, then you need to do something you can actually do because that gets you results from results comes momentum. Now you're in it, you're in the game, you're seeing the fruits of your labor, that's so important. And that momentum leads to consistency on autopilot and consistency on autopilot is habit formation, done deal. Done deal, man. And I think a lot of times what happens is people don't have any self-awareness of their life as far as like how busy they actually are, how much time they actually spend with their kids, how much time they work, uh, how much time is allowed in their day to exercise or to cook or whatever it is. And one of the things that I've heard you talk about that I think is so important and, and useful is this like the 60 second movie 
of somebody's day, like looking at that, their highlight reel so that they can begin to understand like where they allocate and spend their time. If you could walk the listeners through that, I think they'd really appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. The 60 second movie of your day, something that's, uh, allows you to have developed the self-awareness you need to hold yourself accountable for certain things that you're doing that are holding you back from being who you really want to be. So for example, if I wake up and then I hit the snooze button three times. Well, then now I'm getting up and instead of actually waking up and having a really healthy breakfast, I have slept in a little bit and now I'm just on the freaking road. So I, I either am just slamming a coffee down and skipping breakfast or I'm ordering a crap breakfast in a drive through on the way. Let's take the example that I think a lot of people will do is just have the coffee and go to work and skip breakfast. So now you're at work. You've started the day stressed out, by the way, because what seemed like a less stressful option of hitting the snooze button has now turned into a more stressful butterfly effect, where that's creating a bigger effect at the rest of the day. So now we're starting the day stressed out. We're rushing into the office. People at work are like, yo, dude, like, what's going on with you, man? And then by the time lunch rolls around, since you've skipped breakfast and you're stressed out, your appetite is going to be much higher than it otherwise would have been. What do people do when they got up too late and they skipped breakfast and now they got a huge appetite? They really brought nothing with them, so they're going to go somewhere local, out for lunch, and then they're going to get a larger meal than they would have otherwise consumed. And when you are eating out at a restaurant, it is very easy to get a thousand plus calories in, especially if you're going there with an appetite. It's hyper, hyper easy. It's way harder to do that at home than it is when eating out because of the oils and the fats and the cooking methods utilized. So now we've had this big lunch and it's probably going to result in some form of afternoon crash. Like that's usually never a strange concept, the afternoon crash. It's like, what'd you eat for lunch? Well, I ate crap. Okay. Shocking. I'm shocked that you feel bad. So then if the afternoon is going to lead to some sort of crash, and even if it doesn't, let's say that those calories, they, they came in in some, you took in a bunch of calories because you ate out, but let's say you don't have the crash. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. And then let's say they still actually went to the gym after work as well. And then after the gym, they go home and they have their dinner. Once you have your dinner, it's like at the end of the day. So now we're talking 7 or 8 p.m. at this point in time. That's when I would encourage people to have a 60 second opportunity to look at what happened in the day. Cause okay, it's like, yeah, that I did actually skip breakfast and then I went to work stressed and then I ate way too much at lunch. And because of the fuel I put in my body at lunch, my workout probably wasn't as good as it otherwise could have been. And I certainly didn't follow a phasic peri-workout nutrition process because of what happened at lunch. And then I had a good dinner, you know? So at the end of my day, what really happened? I had one good meal for dinner and I still got my workout in. Cool. Is that okay? Sure. But it's not necessarily a way to get results. So what can I fix? Should I get a pre-workout? Should I get an intro workout? Should I get a post-workout? No, forget that stuff. You're majoring in the minors. Stop it. Just get out of bed in the morning. That's it. If you get out of bed in the morning and you can actually wake up and have your eggs, you are going to start the day less stressed. You are not going to have that catabolic cascade of catecholamines that comes with the anxiety and stress of waking up and then giving yourself a ton of caffeine. Nah, you are going to be anabolic. And since you ate something earlier, not only are you going to enter work less stressed, you're also going to enter work more productive because you have food in your system. You also aren't going to have as big of an appetite at lunch. So you, you can actually have a better willpower situation to where you are able to choose something better if you do choose to eat out. But if you got out of bed, you probably could have just packed yourself something for lunch anyways. Now we've got better fuel in the morning, better fuel at lunch, likely less calories because both of those were very in a controlled state with less stress. And now because you've put proper fuel in your body, you are going to have a more productive workout to give you results, to give you the momentum, to give you the consistency to keep doing the damn thing. So that 60 second movie, or yeah, the 60 second movie of your day, it allows you to major in the majors because one thing you would never associate with, man, why aren't I losing body fat right now, is hitting the snooze button. You really wouldn't associate it with that. But that was the butterfly's wing that created a massive tsunami effect on your results for the entire day. And then if that becomes habitual, it'd be the results for your entire program. I want to dive more into this because this is a, a toxic cycle that, that often happens, right? Where you get people that they're chronically fatigued, 
they're stressed, their energy is low. And throughout the day, what they're doing is like you just said, they're hitting the snooze button. They're not eating breakfast. They're not packing a lunch. They're eating like a huge, hugely, you know, processed meal for lunch. Maybe they eat a snack, maybe they don't. Maybe they get a workout in, maybe they don't. Then they come home. Hopefully they eat a healthy meal, but maybe they don't. But let's just say they haven't had time to take a you know, an inventory of what they've done throughout the day. And let's just say they're, they're coming to somebody like you and they're saying, Hey, Dan, I'm tired all the time. I'm super stressed. Like, where do you begin to start with them? Like outside of, you know, looking at, you know, what time they're going to bed and if, if they're hitting the snooze button and stuff like that. We will get you back to this episode of the adversity advantage in just one second. But first wanted to give a quick shout out to Organifi. As you know, Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high-quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers that contain less than 3 grams of sugar per serving. Recently, I have been loving the refreshing taste of the new Organifi green juice, Crisp Apple. That's right, Crisp Apple. It comes with all the benefits you've come to love in the classic green juice with a new juicy twist. Enjoy the same fan-favorite nourishing ingredients such as ashwagandha, moringa, spirulina, and chlorella, designed to hydrate, energize, and support cortisol balance. The new green juice crisp apple is made with organic, wholesome, hand-picked apples. It tastes like a fresh, juicy slice in every sip, making it the first of its kind the whole family will absolutely love. It's only available for a limited time, so make sure to stock up now and take advantage of this nourishing green juice that tastes absolutely divine. So go to www.organifi.com backslash Doug and use code Doug for 20% off your order. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com backslash Doug and use code Doug for 20% off any item. Now back to the show. What's the first thing I'm going to do if somebody comes to me and they want results? I'm probably going to ask for their blood work. Blood work is absolutely, first of all, it's like one of the cheapest things that you can get. It's available worldwide. I mean, you can get it. So this works internationally. You can get it here in Canada. You can get it LA, you get it Hong Kong, get it Moscow. It doesn't matter where you are. A blood chemistry is the most scientifically validated and reliable test in the world. That's why it's available everywhere in the world. And there's research on it for decades. So there's a whole lot of ways in which you can look at blood work. So I've found that as a very valuable tool because pretty much everybody's already going to have their yearly blood work with their doctor. So if I can find a, a tool that allows me to remove my own biases from the process and their own biases from the process, then it needs to be objective as possible. And nothing is more objective than your blood work. The result is going to be the result is going to be the result. Your blood doesn't care what your morals are. Your blood doesn't care what your current beliefs are. Your blood doesn't care about any of that stuff. And it's a beautiful way to provide objectivity to the situation in that labs discipline those who refuse to discipline themselves. Because if you are putting the blinders on, your lab marker will never move. You can lie as much as you want to yourself and to your friends, but if that lab marker doesn't move, then we know that you are not following the program to develop the consistency to get real long-term results. So blood work is absolutely huge in the opening of a coaching relationship between me and a client because it gives us a foundation of objectivity to move forward with. And so once somebody gets some lab work done, what are a few markers that you might want to see if they're coming to you and saying they're fatigued? and they're stressed, like what are a few markers within that like lab panel that you want to look at? Sure. So like uh, if somebody is fatigued, like first of all, fatigue by itself, it's a very umbrella symptom because it can come from a lot of different ways. Like fatigue could be of a result of low testosterone. Fatigue could be a result of poor blood sugar management. Fatigue could be a result of uh, a stressed out lifestyle. Fatigue could be a result of state of anemia. If their goal is fatigue, I'm going, okay, they don't have a deficiency in caffeine. So we can, we can check that off the list. So why is it, 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 what is the actual foundational root cause problem here that I can address to not just create body transformation in this person, but create life transformation in this person? If it's anemia, let's rock and roll with that, okay? Because a lot of people are tired, number one, and they want to get leaner, number two. So anemia, you can have a B vitamin, type of anemia, like pernicious anemia, or you could have iron anemia. Uh, let's stick with iron because that's probably the one that people are most familiar with in terms of the listeners. Okay, iron anemia. We have lower iron, which means that we are going to see on a blood panel 
low levels of ferritin, because ferritin is, is a representation of stored iron in the body, you also see a higher amount of something called TIBC. And TIBC is a protein that the liver creates to sequester iron. So it's going out into the body to find iron. So what that's basically saying is the liver currently wants iron to support an iron-specific dependent pathway. For example, the formation of red blood cells. If you have a low amount of ferritin, it's a representation of low stored iron. And then we have a high amount of TIBC. Okay, we're seeing this pattern here. We've got a low amount of stored iron, plus the liver is making a bunch of proteins to go and find iron. So this is a very, very good indication that we have low iron in the body. Let me have a look over at the red blood cells. Okay, we're seeing similar patterns. Something such as um, MCH is mean corpuscular hemoglobin. Mean, average, corpuscular, red blood cell, hemoglobin, iron status. So if this is low, then the average red blood cell iron content is low across your red blood cell count that we did in your blood draw. Now this is very, very important to all tie together because when we undergo fat loss, typically when we're speaking to clients, we will say you're gonna go burn fat in the gym or a hypocaloric state, that's gonna help you burn fat. Burning fat biochemically is beta oxidation. Key emphasis on oxidation. So we actually oxidize fat, which means oxygen needs to be present in the mitochondria in order to use fat as a fuel source. Iron is what carries oxygen in the red blood cells. So not only are we gonna be fatigued because we have low iron status due to a lack of oxygen being available at the mitochondria to actually make energy, that is a chemical result of fatigue. That has nothing to do with your motivation. It has nothing to do with your willpower. It has nothing to do with your discipline. That is a chemical cause of fatigue that is resulting in less energy formation and energy production and very poor energy efficiency. But beyond this, the way in which it's fatiguing you is a lack of beta oxidation which means it's gonna be a lot harder to get leaner. So not only are you gonna have more fatigue, which is gonna reduce calories out per day and result in weight loss being a harder process, but the way in which you're actually forming energy is very inefficient in terms of the way in which you're going to be able to utilize body fat. So fatigue kills our energy out, the lack of iron is reducing beta oxidation in the body, and good luck trying to motivate somebody to give them the results for the motivation for the consistency if they're tired and not getting leaner. So this is a situation where someone can show me their blood work and we can figure this out immediately to give them the objective foundation that they require to optimize their physiology to even give them a chance to achieve their goals. Right. Yeah. And that's so common, right? And you hear this a lot that iron deficiency when people don't have enough iron in their system they're experiencing fatigue they don't they have they don't have much energy and then when you obviously have those things like you said like you're not going to be motivated to do much of anything and so let's just say you have somebody who comes to you you've looked at their labs and you you're this is plain in sight that this is exactly what's going on it's clear as day that this is what's happening like where do you begin to start with this person is it lifestyle stuff first do you go the supplement route like what which direction do you tend to go yeah, typically both. Like the, the people who come to me, I get a lot of kind of type A people at this point in my career. I built a lot of my reputation on working with the average general population. But now working with professional athletes, they don't want to take the slow route of like, let's do this habit for two weeks and then we'll do that habit for two. And then we'll, they're kind of like, hey, I have to fight in the UFC octagon in eight weeks. Don't give me the slow baby talk. We want results right now. So what can I do from the outside in and the inside out in order to get results to really smash this thing? So at this point in my career, yeah, I tackle everything, lifestyle, nutrition, and supplements. But in like that specific example, supplementation alone would just offer this kind of like on-off switch of you are replacing a micronutrient that is currently holding you back. And supplementation, it kind of gets a bad rep because, well, deservedly so. There's a lot of companies out there that are unethical, that have terrible marketing and blatantly say things that aren't true. And even sell things that aren't true because it's not even that what's on the label isn't even what's in the product. So supplements deservedly have a bad rep, but in the right context, with the right objectivity, with the right company, they can be a real bullet in the chamber that gets somebody fast results. 
Yeah. And so as far as supplements go, I mean, obviously it's a hot topic now and people are, you know, they're seeing supplements online, they're seeing them on social media. Like, do you recommend, like, is there like a, like a few staple supplements you think everybody should take no matter what, or do you always recommend going to get a lab panel first? I think that you should have a lab panel anyways, because you want to act preventatively rather than reactively towards your health, regardless of supplementation, right? So I think a minimum every year, people should get their blood once. I think that you're doing a better job if you get it done twice per year. And I think you're a rock star if you get it done three times per year. Because red blood cells, they have a turnover rate of 120 days. So every four months, you have new blood. So when you're getting blood work every four months, you're actually staying on top of your blood based upon the new blood that is being formed and if you need to course correct in any type of situation. So I think people should be getting their blood work anyways. But in the context where they're not, I am a fan of multivitamins. I do think they provide a lot of, a lot of micronutrient value. I'm a big fan of utilizing magnesium because of its depletion in the soil in combination with how many biological processes it's utilized in. So I think a multi, I think magnesium is great. I think that omega-3 is something a lot of people would get a lot of benefit from because it's very difficult to achieve any form of respectable omega-3 to 6 ratio from diet alone because most people just don't have a lot of salmon, for example. Like fish oil, magnesium, and multivitamins, those are kind of the boring ones that make me sound boring until you understand biochemistry and you realize how kick-ass they are. They are fantastic supplements. Besides that, like I'm not a fan of blindly prescribing vitamin D, despite a lot of people doing that. I'm not a fan of blindly prescribing melatonin, despite a lot of people doing that. I don't do anything without labs besides probably multi-magnesium and omega-3. Yeah. Those are awesome supplements. I've been taking them for a long time. And I think across the board, I would say that those are, are ones that you hear a lot of people like yourself and many other experts advocating to start with, even if you're not getting any any labs done. And this goes alongside of one of the things I wanted to talk to you about where you have this, so I don't think it's a different approach, but it's an approach that maybe isn't talked about as much when it comes to weight loss or when it comes to starting a fitness transformation journey. And that is like working on improving your physiology first before going on this journey because what tends to happen is people go on a weight loss journey and they're completely overhauling their life and they end up feeling like crap along the way and they end up quitting. So talk about why that's so important. Yeah, something that I've always been a fan of is don't lose weight, get healthier. A lot of people think that you need to lose weight in order to be healthy, but the truth is that you need to be healthy in order to lose weight. Like that's actually what's gonna help people be so much more consistent because if your testosterone is zero, and you go on this major weight loss process, you're making it so much harder on yourself and you probably lose weight, but it doesn't mean that you addressed the root cause as to why your testosterone was low, which means you'll probably feel like crap. Because if you came to me with fatigue and it was from low testosterone and then you lose a bunch of weight and you're feel still fatigued, it's because you shot the wrong target. <laughs> you, did, you did something that had nothing to do with the whole reason you came to me. And you'll learn that as a coach too. Like when you're in the game, a lot of people don't say, I want to be 130 pounds. No, a lot of people say, I want my sex drive back. I want to have energy. I want to not um, I have depressive thoughts. And I really think that I have low testosterone. I have bloating. I have diarrhea. I have constipation. All I want to do is sleep better. Like lots of times it's us that say, well, we need to be at this body fat percentage in this way. And we kind of ruin the whole process. And we, we sometimes point our clients in the wrong direction or uh, the, the inexperienced kind of know-it-all coaches will point their client in the wrong direction based on their current beliefs and morals about what they perceived health to be and not what the client's definition of health is in the current context of their goals. So I actually like to get someone healthy because it corrects the physiology that allows for weight loss to happen naturally. We already explained the iron thing. That person's going to be so much better off. And that's where you do get the life transformation as opposed to body transformation because now they're going to feel better in my absence. And I know I've really, really done my job if they don't need to renew with me. We got rid of the problem. Like We don't actually, I actually know if they never talk to me again, that that's actually good, that they're able to actually sustain this whole process by themselves. Now, in some contexts, of course, like uh, being in a hypocaloric state and getting leaner, it, it 
that will also improve many markers of inflammation, blood sugar control, glucose, HbA1c, insulin sensitivity, hormones. There's a lot of things that getting leaner, of course, aids in, but it's not the first thing that I like to focus on because guaranteed that person coming to me has had weight loss, the first thing that they're focusing on, 10 times before they finally came to me. So if it didn't work the last 10 times, why are you coming to me for the exact same thing this time? Something's physiologically holding you back. And it was kind of like a whole revelation I had like in like 2014, I'm gonna say, because I've been in the, the functional medicine space for a long time. And it's been a difficult space to navigate because I have a very, very evidence-based practice. And there's a lot of people in functional medicine that kind of make it a term that I almost don't even wanna use on podcasts because they've kind of ruined it for, for people who actually do remain evidence-based because they say kooky, wild things. But like way back in like 2014, I was getting people that would come to me with like, hey, I have migraines, what can I do? Hey, I have this, what can I do? Hey, I have constipation, what can I do? Whatever it is. And then I would help them with that thing. And then they would just lose weight. Like their body composition would improve. They would get leaner. Uh, these things would begin to happen that I didn't actually program. Like I didn't put you on uh, you know, a periodization program. I didn't carefully monitor your, your volume, uh, intensity, and frequency. I didn't even like put you on some sort of super controlled macronutrient split and hypochlorism. No, you came to me with a pain point. I removed your pain point and then you got leaner. I was like, there's something, there's something's happening here to where health is the foundation that allows people to achieve their cosmetic goals at a much accelerated rate, but then also keep them because they feel better. I want to dive into this example. You kind of hinted at a little bit because in my career as a trainer, I'm sure even with, with you and in in your career as working with the quote unquote average people, one of the common themes I would hear is somebody who's trying to lose weight, get leaner. However, they're constantly stressed out. They're bloated. They're having some gut issues and they can't figure out like why all this is happening and why they can't lose weight despite the fact that they are working out a fair amount. They are quote unquote eating better. Like how would you navigate that situation specifically if somebody now came to you with those issues? What's the specific context? Like what's their goal and what's the symptoms and what's happening? So typically like, you know, somebody come, will come to me, some of my clients and they're bloated, they're super stressed out and they can't figure out like why all this is happening. And they're, they're claiming to eat healthier and their goal is to lose a bit of weight, get healthier and leaner. Yeah. Okay. So in that kind of context, stress by itself can cause gut issues. So stress by itself can create something known as hypochlorhydria, where you reduce your hydrochloric acid secretion. This is very well demonstrated in humans. Stress by itself it reduces hydrochloric acid secretion so much, you can actually give yourself a bleeding ulcer in the stomach. What basically happens is if you have normal acid secretion in the stomach, then you will have, as a protective mechanism, the body has a nice thick mucus layer in the stomach that protects the actual stomach lining from being exposed to pure acid. So that mucus layer helps protect the gut. What happens when you get stressed is you reduce hydrochloric acid secretion. When you reduce hydrochloric acid secretion, your body as an adaptive mechanism, because it's the ultimate efficiency machine, will reduce the thickness of that mucus layer. So now you have a very thin mucus layer because you're secreting a very small amount of hydrochloric acid. But even if you have moments of psychological and emotional balance, you had a great day, this, 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 and that, then hydrochloric acid secretion will, in response, increase again due to the lack of stress. But there is a lagging period to where now you've secreted a lot of hydrochloric acid, but you still only have a small mucus layer protection within the gut lining. Then that gut gets damaged. That's how bleeding ulcers begin. So that whole process, it's very, very well demonstrated. The problem with that is hydrochloric acid by itself is very biochemically important. It's what triggers the esophageal sphincter to close. When you have a closed esophageal sphincter, then you don't have acid reflux. So you're talking to me about, okay, this client is stressed out and they had gastrointestinal symptoms. I'm like, huh, okay, well, stress reduces hydrochloric acid. Acid reflux is probably something I would ask them about. But of equal critical importance, hydrochloric acid is required for zinc uptake in the body. 
So now, as far as zinc status goes in physiology, you can look at it physically. Like, for example, females will have accelerated hair loss. They will also have brittle and cracked nails if they have lower zinc. But that acidic food, if you eat a piece of chicken, it has acid on it. Now, now we're not getting as much zinc from that, which is going to result in many biological processes, uh, testosterone and glucose uptake being two very important ones that will be suboptimal in the presence of suboptimal zinc. But now we have this food that doesn't have as acidic of a pH state that it should have in a healthy digestive tract. So that now is entering the small intestine, which is a big problem because acidity is what catalyzes many of the pancreatic enzymes to break that food down. Okay, so that's what's actually breaking, uh, allowing to catalyze things like um, trypsin, uh, protease, lipase, all these things that are there to be catalyzed into their active form to properly break down that food. So if you have bad digestion north, you are absolutely going to have bad digestion south because the cascade isn't proper happening properly. The things that are supposed to catalyze aren't catalyzing. The things that aren't supposed to be damaged are being damaged. The micronutrients that are supposed to be uptaken aren't actually uptaken, right? And you aren't what you eat. You only are what you eat and actually absorb. Doesn't matter if zinc was contained in the strawberries that you ate if you're not actually uptaking that zinc. So then you're going to have bad digestion north, which is absolutely going to result in bad digestion south, which is going to result in a very large array of symptoms of bloating, acid reflux, loose stools, possibly constipation. And how the hell is anybody supposed to be maximally effective with weight loss, which is the goal you gave me, if they have, for example, the suboptimal zinc, the acid reflux, and an array of bloating and gut distension? So you're going to the gym with something in your gut. You're trying to sleep with something in your gut. You are stressed, which is what caused everything. So in this situation, it's like a perfect way in which I can support the approach at which I operate with clientele. Because if stress was the root cause of the problem, then we could have reduced the stress, which would have improved the gut health, which is going to improve the micro and macronutrient digestive process happening in their body, which is going to kill their gastrointestinal symptoms, which is going to allow them to lose weight a lot more efficiently. Not because I did anything wild, but because I knew the biochemistry behind the thing I needed to actually change that resulted in that kind of one tip-off point of, hey, I'm fatigued, I have gastrointestinal symptoms, and I'm stressed. What should I do? That is all extrapolated. I could see it in your labs. Sure, there's a lot of markers I can look at there. But I also kind of just know what's going on in that average person. They need stress management, and that's what's going to allow them to get healthy, which allows the weight loss process to happen much more naturally than it otherwise would have. Man, thanks for sharing all that. That is that's that's so so good. I think people are going to get a lot out of that because a lot of people struggle with that and they end up accepting it as normal. They just like, oh, I'm just getting older, or maybe it's just because I ate too many vegetables yesterday, whatever the case may be, and they just think, oh, it's just the way it is, and it's just not right. And so let's just say somebody's listening to this, like, all right, all right, you've addressed my problem. Like, what are a few things I can do to reduce my stress? Now I know it's going to be so individualized when you're making recommendations for people, but just say for the average people, I'm sure there's a lot of common themes that you've seen over the years, like what are a few things that you get people to do to help bring their stress levels down? In the initial process, I got paid nothing by Thorne. I got it right here. <laughs> Thorne rhodiola is a fantastic product to adjust the, the one's cortisol curve. Uh, basically, cortisol is a won't get crazy into it because that can be its own whole podcast. A lot of these questions can be their own whole podcast. <laughs> but cortisol by in, its, in and of itself is correlated to that whole hypochlorigia thing that I just talked about in the gut because it is a, a catecholamine that is released in response to stress that in acute amounts is actually highly beneficial. Cortisol is, is what helps break glycogen into glucose. It's what helps break fat cells into fatty acids. So we have physical energy. Cortisol plays an important role in the circadian rhythm. Acute cortisol actually has anti-inflammatory effects, just like it's a it's sister hormone, cortisone. A lot of people are familiar with. You inject it into your joints and it stops hurting so you can finish the fourth quarter of a game. This whole process of stress management is driven by a lot of things that are very adrenal-based. And cortisol is just one of them that come along in this package. Rhodiola helps correct that kind of regardless of your current stressors. So I'll kind of use that as a cheat code. Like begin this now and then it'll help control the stress response while we actually work on the root cause that's resulting in the stress response. 
So like uh, so there's people out there, and again, this is like what is a, is a gripe of mine with functional medicine a lot is they'll blame the adrenal glands for a lot of things. The adrenals create cortisol and they do, and that results in this, 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 and this. It's like, why are you going to blame an organ system that's doing its job? It is a reactant system. It's not creating stress for the fun of it. It's creating stress in response to a stressor. So why would you blame the messenger? Stress is a state of physiology designed to motivate you to find a life that doesn't stress you out anymore. It's supposed to be uncomfortable physically and mentally so that you are motivated to find the life that doesn't result in the stressor anymore. That is a signal. That is a canary in the coal mine. That's something you should listen to. And if you're like, hey, take this to suppress cortisol and take this to, for adrenal fatigue, which doesn't even exist. If you're doing that, then it's a very horrible way to coach somebody because that is a reactant organ system responding to a stressor. You're shutting up the messenger and then staying blind to the root cause of the problem. So I love rhodiola to help control the stress response while we actually figure out what's going on with the stressor, which can be a, a myriad of things. Yes, meditation can help. Improving your sleep quality will absolutely help. Getting to the gym will help. It'll give you a place to actually put that energy. When I'm stressed, I want to train. It gives me a, an outlet to actually use that anxious, anxiety, stress, and put it somewhere positive and at least use it for something productive. So like training, meditation, improving your sleep, doing the 60-second movie of your day, and finding out what's actually stressing you out. <laughs> what, what questions are you not answering about your own habits that are actually relatively easy to adjust? Do you need to have any tough conversations in your life with someone who's been pissing you off, the scared way in which you don't want to be assertive or confrontational, you're just letting them walk all over you. These can all be their own root causes that have nothing to do with like a fascinating mechanistic pathway. And I love how you brought up the fact that, that so many people just blame the adrenals and then that becomes a way for people to prescribe supplements and then say that you have adrenal fatigue and that your adrenals are just shot and there's no way around it. And then it just pretty much you avoid then addressing the root cause of a lot of the problems because these people are just sold on the belief that they can just take a supplement and then all their problems are going to go away and it's just not the case, right? Dude, and you'll actually see that in blood work. So like as a coach, you could say, oh, it's adrenal fatigue. Take this, 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 and this. And then you'll never do that again when their blood work never changes. <laughs> and you're like, uh, so I didn't really do anything, but thanks for your money for the past three exactly. months. Yeah. <laughs> And so getting back to the root cause, we've kind of touched on the one half of the bloating, which is like, you know, stress can cause a lot of that. That's very common for a lot of people. Would you say though, that like throughout your years of being a practitioner, that that typically is like the main offender when it comes to people's digestive health, like when they're feeling bloated and having digestive issues is, is it normally stress or is it, could it be what they're eating as well? Yeah, I mean, it is chicken and the egg, so it depends on how tough the case study is. So if somebody comes to me and their stress is a clear part of their life, like a, a CEO or um, they're currently going through a divorce or family trauma, like obviously that's going to be a big rock for us to, to kind of handle that stress response. But it can be chicken and the egg because you can absolutely have an opportunistic bacterial infection. You could have a parasite. You could have fungal growth. You could have viral load. Like there are many things that can also create a lot of gastrointestinal distress that actually resulted in the stress. So instead of it being an outside-in stressor, it was an inside-out stressor. And this is like kind of why I take that holistic approach to coaching people, because I believe that the questionnaires are really the art of coaching, whereas the labs are the science of coaching. And the art of coaching is understanding the person from the outside-in, but then the science of coaching is understanding the physiology from the inside-out. And when you can marry those two, it's not chicken or egg. You're able to say, oh, it's egg. Or, nah, that's the chicken. Like I said, it, it becomes actually very clear. In the world of gut health, having a, some type of dormant infection or low-grade infection is something a lot of people pass off as normal just because it's common. But just because something's common, a lot of people have farts that reek. A lot of people have loose stools or very soft stools that they just never talk about for you know obvious reasons. But these things are seen as normal just because they're common. But what I've seen in my practice is there is an unbelievable amount of people with some form of low-grade infection in their gut. And when this is, when you utilize, say, uh, a generalized antimicrobial protocol, things absolutely overnight completely reverse themselves. So 
it is very context specific, but it begs the importance of getting a stool test done. I'm very big on stool analysis. Yeah, because in order to know where you're going, you got to find out where you're at. And it's like you can't like throw a dart at a target that doesn't exist, right? You, you have to have a target to aim towards to see where you're going before you begin the, the process of trying to unpack and begin to heal some of these problems that people are experiencing. One of the things that I've heard you talk about that I think is one of the small tweaks that people can make that will make their lifestyle, that will improve their quality of life and their health so much is water. Talk a bit about why like staying hydrated is so important and what are some signs of dehydration and how can being dehydrated cause long-term problems? Yeah, there's a saying in chess, some um, great moves come from great positions. When you are in a position of understanding, then you actually know what move you need to make in order to become a healthier version of yourself. And there's no better way to understand the position you're in and therefore the move you need to make than having a look at blood work. So hydration, for example, albumin is an excellent hydration marker because a lot of blood work stuff, when someone's like, hey, this is my cholesterol, what do you think? My brain goes like, because the reason why it could be high or the reason why it could be low or even the reason why it could have met in the middle because of two pulling mechanisms can be extremely complicated and really takes like a lifetime of dedication to understand what you're actually looking at. But albumin is one of those ones that's not complicated. If it's elevated, you're dehydrated. So if you have a elevated albumin on a lab, that's a marker of dehydration. And then you'll also see other things along with it. Elevated serum magnesium, elevated blood urea nitrogen, elevated sodium, and then definitely elevated hemoglobin and hematocrit. All of those are associated with dehydration. So it doesn't have to be all of them. It can be a combination of them, but you will absolutely see a pattern. And then that will put you in the position to understand the move that you need to make, which is hydration, which is going to help your body tremendously. Like we are, for how much the world talks about nutrition and macronutrients and gut health and stuff like that, it's amazing how often we forget that we are 70% water. We are literally 70% water. And then it's like, how many grams of protein do you have per day? Oh, I have 203 grams. Okay, how much water you have in? I don't know. Well, you know why I think that is just not to cut you off really quick. It's because everybody agrees that you need to drink water. It's like when you, the other like nuances of nutrition, people can argue over, right? Yeah, but like people don't no, drink water. I, I, I'm drinking yeah, it on yeah. this podcast several times. Like that is just funny to me, man. Like we're 70% water. We're literally 70% water. It's involved in every single biological process. Nothing happens without water. It's involved in everything. That's why we are 70% of it. Muscle in and of itself is 75% water. So how well is a muscle going to perform in a state of dehydration? It's not going to perform well. And we've already seen this in the literature. If you're at a half a percent loss in body water, you are going to increase cardiac stress. So your actual beats per minute increases in the heart. And beats per minute is associated with exercise-induced fatigue. So just by itself, we're increasing stress in the heart. A 1% loss in body water is associated with reduction in cardiovascular output. So now we don't just have increased stress in the heart, but we're actually reducing our cardiovascular output. A 3% loss in body water reduces muscular endurance. So think in terms of throwing my jab with power, or if I'm doing a set of say 15 to 20, this is a muscular endurance and not aerobic cardiovascular endurance. At 3% loss in body water, we have now reduced muscular endurance. At a 4% loss in body water, we've reduced our absolute strength and we've reduced our coordination. So now at a 4% loss in body water, for those you know doing the math here, we are a worse athlete because we're less coordinated. We have reduced our absolute strength. We've reduced our muscular endurance. We've reduced our cardiovascular capacity and our heart is under more stress. That was at a 4% loss, man. And here in Canada, I might not have that problem. But in Arizona, or in Brazil, or in Florida, in Miami, the, there's a lot of people who lose a ton of water. Also, hydration isn't just water. It's water plus electrolytes. So then you can actually go further and actually hydrate people more efficiently so that they don't run into those performance decreases. They are supporting the health processes. And then also to kind of keep in mind the, the theme that kind of interwove itself into this entire podcast is a stress response. Even slight states of dehydration have been demonstrated to increase cortisol. That's why actually I'm not a real fan of saunas post-workout either. Cortisol is directly catabolic. 
And if you are doing a post-workout sauna, it just really doesn't make sense to me. Dehydration increases the rate of glycogen depletion. So now the three R's of post-workout management are repair, refuel, and rehydrate. Repair, refuel, rehydrate. If you get in the sauna post-training, well, the refuel process is being reduced because you are accelerating the rate of glycogen depletion. The repair process is being reduced because you're making your testosterone to cortisol worse than it otherwise would have been. And the rehydration process is getting his ass whooped because you're sitting in a goddamn sauna. So like that, the water is wildly, wildly important. Get it in you, get your electrolytes in you, and your results are going to increase dramatically. And it's not that complicated. And water is one of the things like at the, you know, we've also been talking about majoring in the majors. Like that's the thing. Like you have to focus on that. That's a, that's a free tweak that you can, everybody can make right now listening to this that'll cost you absolutely nothing that is going to do wonders for your life. And the second thing that I think people can do that I want to, I would love to get your insights on is improving the quality of our sleep because we can do all the things throughout the day. We can eat right. We can work out. We can manage stress. We can have quality time with friends, loved ones. But if our sleep sucks, life's going to suck. So what are a few of your, the key things that maybe you do for yourself or that you help with your clients and athletes to help them optimize their sleep quality? Sure. So I think one thing is absolutely identifying the stressor that's resulting in a cortisol secretion, which is, has a teeter-totter re relationship with things inhibitory. So to kind of overly simplify it, there is excitatory and inhibitory things in physiology. Excitatory would be things like dopamine, cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine, things that can wake you up. Inhibitory is supposed to be the opposite. So things like GABA, serotonin, melatonin. Evolution has given us a teeter-totter relationship based on survival status because stress, as far as our DNA is concerned, is still considered a threat to survival. So we still have that ancient, someone's invading your tribe, or you've got a carnivore animal in front of you, something very serious that demands the stress response for the fight or flight reaction that's gonna save your ass so that you live another day. Problem now is that we still have very similar stress responses, but to things that aren't as consequential as a bear being in your grill, okay? So what happens if somebody's stressed out, this has that teeter-totter relationship with things that are supposed to calm you down and put you to sleep, all right? And that makes sense because if you do have a bear in your grill, it's a really bad time to take a nap. That's why evolution gave us that so that we could actually continue to spread our seed and populate the earth and do the things that we need to do in order to survive as a species. So if you have any stressor, if you're annoyed with your partner, if you watch really stressful um, television before bed, it's not just the blue light from your phone that's gonna reduce your sleep quality, it's the people's annoying posts because they're idiots. That's also gonna give you the stress response that's going to result in a lack of inhibition because you're so angry that your survival thing has absolutely turned off your inhibition. And biochemically speaking, serotonin puts you to sleep, melatonin keeps you asleep. Both of those are of a precursor from tryptophan, and both of those use vitamin B6 as a conversion mechanism to convert, for example, tryptophan into 5-hydroxytryptophan into serotonin to allow you to actually fall asleep. So that whole process can be measured as well. Like you can see in a lab somebody's micronutrient status. You could also see in a lab somebody's melatonin status. So if you're having trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, it can be very biochemically individual, the way in which we address that problem. But on a global scale, it is identifying the stressor that's resulting in the lack of inhibitory chemicals being secreted, which allow for a restful night's sleep. Yeah, you got to identify the root cause of the problem, right? You can't just put a Band-Aid on these things, which a lot of times we often will try to do, but let's just say somebody's identified the problem. They've got their phone put away. Maybe that was the thing that was bothering them, or maybe they, they stopped talking about their relationship with their partner right before bed. That was the problem. Is there any like supplement stacks that you recommend for sleep, or do you believe in like sleepy time tea? Like, or is there anything that you actually see evidence that's supported by evidence that can help, you know, enhance the sleep process? Yeah, for sure. So like as far as like I already said, it's good to have a multi and a magnesium. So the multi is going to contain the B6 to help that uh, metabolic pathway properly execute itself to convert that tryptophan into things inhibitory. So that's already going to be beneficial, even though you're taking it in the morning, that warehouse status of the body having that available for catalyst activity is very important. I also think that I already said magnesium is something good to have. And then you can just alter, switch over to magnesium 3 and 8, 
which is excellent. Very good at calming the body down, very good for improving brain health and very good for improving uh, sleep quality as well. So the multi and the magnesium, again, like I said, those sound boring, but they're involved in all things, anabolism, catabolism, sleep quality, stress management, because they provide the micronutrients. There is no nutrition without micronutrition. Everything requires something in order to be a thing. You want to make any excitatory or any inhibitory mechanisms, they all require the micronutrients and not just the macronutrients in order to be executed. So I think having B vitamin status is good. I think having magnesium is very good in this context. I also think rhodiola earlier in the day is very underrated for improving sleep quality because cortisol has a half-life. So if you had a great big stressor at 5 p.m., you're not thinking that that stressor is associating in poor sleep at 10 p.m., but everything has a half-life. So that stress response is still trying to break itself down, whereas rhodiola would have been done a really good job at controlling that stress response so the peak wasn't so high in the first place. And rhodiola has a, has a half-life of six hours. So I actually like people taking 100 milligrams three times a day upon waking, mid-morning, and in the afternoon, which really gives you 18 hours of stress response protection. And that's really all you need because the remaining six, you're for sure gonna be asleep anyways. Because cortisol's half-life is gone, you've controlled the stress response via actually reducing stress is going to kill the half-life, but reducing stress is also going to allow for the inhibitory things to actually properly take place. So I think between that kind of a combination of things, I would be a fan of. And then you can take other stuff too. I'm not really against anything, except I have seen on pattern recognition from labs that melatonin supplements are way overdosed, way overdosed. And I've posted this a bunch. You can buy random melatonin supplements and you have no idea what you're getting. And the difference is up to 460%. So like some three milligram melatonins were actually... 12 milligrams. And what's heartbreaking is a lot of these that were incorrect were also children's melatonin supplements. So people don't know what they're taking. And melatonin's a hormone. Like I know we can buy it over the counter so it seems like it's not a thing. It's actually a hormone. It's something that has a ton of feedback loops. So I, yeah, I, I just very caution, go the non-melatonin route while you identify the root cause to the problem. And that's gonna be the way that actually allows you to sleep in the absence of all of this stuff. Like, believe it or not, 100 years ago, we slept without edibles. We slept without melatonin. We slept without Ambien. Shocking, you know, like the body has the capability to do this, but people sedate themselves to death before bed now. And we're seeing a lot of the manifestations of what a poor sleep quality, that what can happen as a result of that. So I'm very big and like, give the body what it needs, but also get out of its way. For sure. So rhodiola, good multivitamin, magnesium, and that's going to be a wonderful place for people to, to start to optimize their sleep after or maybe alongside of addressing like the root cause of what's causing some of their sleep issues. And like as we kind of come towards the end of our conversation, I want to kind of bring it back full circle in that like so many people that are going to listen to this are like, all right, I just need to have so much willpower and motivation to do all these things. And I know you kind of say the opposite. I know you say it's important to to build your character, work work on that first, and everything else will kind of fall into place, which, which goes in line with what you said about being consistent, developing discipline, and everything else will fall into place. So why do you think motivation and willpower is mostly can be BS? And why is it so important to work on your character? Well, I mean, just the idea of needing to be motivated to do anything shows how weak your mindset actually is. Getting things done should be logical. Becoming a better you should be logical. The fact that you need to be, you need to hear an Anthony Robbins speech anytime you want to do anything that's actually good for you. Why wouldn't you just want to do things that are good for you because they're good for you? Because that's the person that you want to, would want to be that would give yourself more self-respect, more self-confidence. You know, that's already what you need to do. So relying on external forces to be able to support that is very weak to begin with. And that's just a tough conversation you need to have with yourself. Second, it is individual characteristic traits that are what allow people to be successful across multiple domains. Like a lot of people look for a recipe for success, 
when really they should be looking to develop their character traits. Because if you take a guy like Joe Rogan, for example, he is a black belt in jiu-jitsu under Eddie Bravo. He had the biggest podcast in the history. He uh, is also a touring professional comedian. He's also been on TV. He's also a legendary UFC commentator. Like this is a lot of different skills at a world-class level from the same person. And when people are seeking recipes of success, they should really be looking to develop character traits because things like discipline, preparation, delayed gratification, these are the characteristic qualities that will allow you to be a master at anything that you do. And they will allow you to execute the things you need to execute in the absence of motivation. So forget motivation. Getting things done is logical. And when you get these things done, they develop the character traits that allow you to be successful in the long term, no matter what route you choose to go in. I think that's a great place for us to end, man. That was amazing and awesome. And it's people need to hear it because so many times people get caught and they get addicted to motivational quotes, motivational books, podcasts, television shows that might fire them up. And they just go from one thing to the next. And they never, they never implement either what they've learned or they never try to do the thing that they want to do. And it just becomes this toxic habit loop of, you know, they continue on and on and on with, you know, trying to get motivated by listening to something. And what really motivates you is just doing the work and becoming a better version of yourself. Like that's going to inspire you to keep going and to keep moving forward. So Dan, this has been amazing. I think you're a wealth of knowledge. I've really appreciated our conversation. If people want to connect with you, they want to learn more about your work. Maybe they're somebody that's a professional athlete or, you know, somebody that might be a good client to potentially work with you. Like where's the best place to connect with you? So the best place to connect with me and, and just hang out, I post almost every day on Instagram. So you can find me at Dan Gardner Nutrition on Instagram. And then if you want to work with me and undergo the process is I do blood, urine, saliva, and stool testing on my people. It's over 500 biomarkers involved. It's a, it's a real no stones unturned approach to this is where your physiology is. And this is the exact action plan that we need to go get it done. Got it? Good. That's all found at rapidhealthreport.com. Perfect. Well, I'll make sure to plug that stuff in the show notes. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Dan just recently shared about his thoughts on motivation and willpower and why you need to build your character instead. Maybe it was something that we talked about as far as water goes, as far as gut health, as far as the stress response or why it's important to watch your 60-second movie of your day. Whatever the takeaway was, tag Dan and tag myself because we'd love to hear your feedback. We once again thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.